welcome to Of Dust and Divinity, an ongoing conversation with makers, thinkers, and doers, where we ask big questions of the small things. So full circle with creativity because you have to have rest to be creative but it's so easy to do the hustle with creativity it's so easy to be to do the creative part of creativity which would to me is like that stomping around but what is vital and necessary is that place of rest which actual rest is not checking out and watching netflix it's not Sometimes maybe that can be used in it, but rest is actually intentional and can honestly honestly be just as hard work as the other part, um, obviously, because none of us do it. Welcome back to the second part of our conversation, where we pick up right where we left off and jump straight in. Enjoy the episode. As we're thinking about creativity, I'm curious to hear from you guys, how does creativity help you connect with yourself and with people around you. I think this goes back to what I mentioned earlier about um, how people were meant to create. Um, Like starting from however many years ago, like all we used to do, like everything we had was what we could make from our hands. Um, But for me personally now, I feel like my purpose in this life is to help people. Um, And I, being a creative person, I try to, like, I ask myself, how can I apply my creativity to helping others? So with my design business, I use um, whatever creative skills that I have to help bring other people's visions to life. And I really enjoy doing that because a lot of people have this dream of building their own business or their own company or their own, like, um, products and having the design skills that they may lack. Um, and supporting them that way really helps bring their vision to life and their dream to life. And like supporting people in that way is just really fulfilling to me. Yeah. It's, it, I, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. And I think it, it is like, I think when I think about that question, it's, you have to have some sort of passion, like mm-hmm. in order, like, like, earlier I was saying like you can't autopilot and be creative like I don't think those two things can coexist together um but with that on top of that I think you also yeah you have to have a passion and the same thing goes to how it relates to yourself or others when you have passion you you can use that to serve other people, which is amazing. You can't serve others and bring, you know, what you're meant to into the world with like a lackluster kind of vibe about what you're doing. You have to have some sort of passion and that's where, you know, creativity thrives. And, and then I think just the indirect effect of that is, is bringing something to yourself and to everyone around you. What are your thoughts on the human soul? Like, do we have souls? What what is what is a soul to you? I'm curious. That's a hard question. <laughs> I mean, yes, I believe we have souls. I do too. And in context to again something I'm always thinking about, but creativity is so interesting because I think like Michelle what you were saying like 
we are meant to create. I wholeheartedly believe that. Um, I think as God being a creator, he, and we're made in his image, like we have this innate desire to be like him and create. And that being said, I think that comes along with like that gut or that intuition that everyone has if they're honed into it. And so I think that can play, and this is all obviously just my opinion. Um, but I think that plays into this creativity of like this intuition that that we're kind of meant to and it's undefinable and it's kind of uncomfortable and weird and Mm -hmm. and so to me yes I think we have to like that's I think what makes us different from like everything else on the planet Mm -hmm. yeah I I agree and at the same time I don't I can't say that I know I would I would be able to define exactly what a soul is um, besides what I was raised to believe, that that is what makes us different from other living things on this planet. Like my mom would always say, like, animals don't have souls. So don't like, don't pity them. They're on this life to enjoy um, life on earth. But we have souls and whether or not they live past this life on earth, that's up to like our beliefs and like how we act and so on. Um, So yeah, I can't say that I fully understand what a soul is. I think it's a lot more complex. And I do think that the word soul gets thrown around a lot lately, Um, especially now it's like, oh, you have such a kind soul or, oh, you have such a pure soul or whatever. Like it's just the way people use to describe someone's personality now. Um, I do think it's a lot deeper than that though. Um, But I do agree that our soul is what sets us apart from other living things on this planet. So then that makes me think about creativity. Do you think that genuine creativity can come from some place other than the soul? Or does all genuine and authentic creativity originate within the soul of the being? Ooh. <laughs> Welcome to Have Dustin Divinity Podcast, by the way. This is what we do. I take everyday topics and I make it about the human soul. <laughs> Man. Um... I I mean, it's interesting you're talking about this because I was just talking about this with someone yesterday and we didn't come to a conclusion. So, <laughs> but I, I think for me in my belief system, I do think I actually wrote a paper in college about um, how how are humans different than, like, AI in the future, like, artificial intelligence. Like, what – I don't know if you guys have heard that story about um, – it's fictional, but, like, if a boat is traveling around the world and – it every you know port it stops at it gets a new part and by the time it gets back to that port you know a year later or whatever it's all new parts is it the same boat or is it a different boat yeah, and the classic, same thing classic yeah and self-identification yeah and it, they so the, the paper was on like what about ai like what if we are able to change out you know, eventually get to the point where, you know, our arm's gone. So we have a new arm and we have like a new heart and, and, and everything's new. At what point do, are we still ourselves? And at what point do we lose ourselves? And it was really obviously like 
wow, I don't know. But what creativity, and this was like eight years ago, but it was like I wrote creativity was the one thing that that sets us apart from even artificial intelligence, all that sort of thing. It It's what makes us, it has to be, I think it has to be interconnected with our soul in some way because you, you don't see anything else doing it the way we do it. They can problem solve and I think sometimes we think, oh, that might be, they're creating, but being cre- like creativity I think is so much deeper than just creating. I don't know, again, I don't know if there's any true answer to that, but it's it's a very interesting thing to think about. I agree. It's, it's a very stimulating thought. <laughs> um, and I do agree, like what you just said about other living things being able to create, but when you're talking about creativity, I don't know, I, I honestly have never thought about this, so... Um, right as of right now i i do believe that it it's it comes from the soul um because i don't know what else i would describe as what i've been taught is the definition of creativity like i don't know that i would describe like my dog as a creative <laughs> mm. um yeah but he can create <laughs> he can make um so yeah i I honestly would have to think more on that. And like Kate said, I definitely don't have like a finite answer to that. So um, we're thinking more on for sure. Yeah, I think it's interesting as Western civilization has evolved, it feels like there's been this really concerted effort to exclude any kind of soulfulness from the economy, right? We We make all economic transactions into mathematical formulas. We make you know, promotions based on merit and performance. And we we do all these things that are trying to remove kind of the soul from the work. And yet we have, I think, multiple sectors and creativity is definitely one of these sectors that is fundamentally built on this obvious truth that we're bringing something into the world that comes from the soul. And my view of the soul is growing and changing and morphing. And, and I, again, part because of what I'm discovering about being a farmer and part because of my upbringing in, in the Judeo Christian tradition, but I believe our soul comes from this other world, this world kind of beyond the veil, um, this world that's all around us, but is unseen. Right. And we get that feeling in our stomach when we see a beautiful piece of furniture or a beautiful sunset and we sense a connection to the energy of that physical thing right so there is a, i think there's a part of our soul that actually lives in the material of the world um and i also think that there's a part of our soul that lives in this other world and i think that as we tap into our soul it begins to merge these things and come out of us as creativity and and there's this whole multi-billion dollar industry that you guys both live and work within about creativity that to me is so fundamentally tied to what it means to be a soul-filled person moving in the world, sensing the soul and the objects around us, sensing this other world as it pulses and, and draws us into it. 
and then we draw things out of it and into the world, right? We we go into our soul for inspiration and creativity and what it means to make this thing really uniquely ours. And then what comes out of us is something that we can see and touch and taste. So we're making, we're creating a physical world based on this inspiration of the soul. And I just think it's so interesting that, you know, that there's not a lot of talk about that, you know, in, in school and education, you guys could speak to this too, but like when you're being taught how to be a designer, I don't get the impression that there's a lot of time spent in like contemplative practices and soulful attunement. Is that right? But, but yet that's such an important part of what you do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because I mean, I so agree most education doesn't. I I was fortunate enough to, one of the classes I did take in college, it didn't cover maybe specifically that, but it was it was such a thought-provoking class on, on making you rethink, like even just to give you an example, like the teacher didn't grade the grades, like you kind of gave yourself a grade. Like it was very like, it was very weird or like untraditional, but it made you, it almost made the students like do better and like figure out things for themselves. But it was all about this sort of stuff of like, like kind of rethinking everything we've been taught, which was so weird because it was at a school and it was kind of like making you question every other thing you've been being taught or were used to thinking. Um, So that, that class actually got me, pushed me in a, in kind of a, way of like huh Mm. there there might be there isn't just this like school's great for teaching formula and technique which i think we need to then utilize those more soulful parts you know we need that but i think that's why we see so much so many people have such a difficult time with creativity and this really like tumultuous relationship with it because they've there there's a disconnect between like the practical part of it and then this more deeper soulful whatever you want to call it part of it yeah I I think everything you said Kaven was very elegantly said (laughs) I could not have said it better myself I agree with um everything that you mentioned and um Kate as well I actually didn't have a chance to take a class that was very thought-provoking and really challenged me to um, kind of rewire my brain when it comes to creativity. Um, And when I was in school, everything that they did teach us was more on the technical side. So it kind of put this pressure on us. It's like, are you creative? Decide for yourself. (laughs) Um, Like, um, yeah, so it's, I will say I do have a lot of um, creative blocks sometimes because I was just left, I haven't really challenged myself or haven't really grown um, that aspect. I haven't been in a class where it's challenged me. Um, I've just been left to challenge myself. So um, in that way, I definitely do think there's a lot more room for growth. Um, But yeah, in school, I was definitely not challenged in that way. It was very technical. And something I've heard each of you guys talk about on your podcasts 
is this kind of wrestle with imposter syndrome, particularly as you guys are starting your own endeavors. Um, can you mm. bring a little bit of that into this space as you wrestle with kind of the vulnerability of bringing your soul into the world through your creative works and then wrestling with like, oh no, is someone going to figure out that I don't actually belong here and, and kind of the site, <laughs> what, what goes into that for you? Yeah. Being a self-taught designer, I taught myself Photoshop junior year in college. Um, didn't, I don't have any formal design training. Um, and truth be told, I never called myself a designer until this year <laughs> when I started my little design business. I kind of, it was inevitable at that point. I couldn't really beat around the bush anymore and be like, oh, I do this and this and this. Now it's just like, I kind of have to say I'm a designer or else no one's going to hire me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I kind of always felt like I can't call myself designer. I'm not formally trained or I don't have this amazing portfolio that these other designers have or I don't know the book definitions of like design theory and design psychology and all these things that other designers know. So why should I be able to call myself a designer? Um, it's still a struggle sometimes. I don't think I've fully moved into that space, that mental space where it's like, I am a designer. <laughs> um, but the first step is calling myself one. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, I've taken true. that step. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> thanks um yeah I definitely with with that yeah with design I as I was doing college I started designing like without finishing and so I definitely felt that like I'm a fraud sort of feeling and I realized like, because I just got thrown in, like, my boss just had me start doing, like, very advanced things. It, it almost, like, desensitized me to that feeling a little bit, which was good. Um, and then, you know, I felt more comfortable, but with the podcast, oh my goodness, that, I, that was a whole new level of, I think because with design, like, for me, I was able to do my work you know, have it reviewed by my colleagues and then show it to the client. You know, there's so many processes before they see it versus podcasting was I have no idea what I'm doing. And all by the way, like everyone gets to listen to me. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But everyone gets to listen to me like immediately from day one. Mm -hmm. And I can't and no take backs. Yeah. Um, so that was and I also it wasn't like it was so opposite of anything I had done. Like I've done music, but I've never spoken. Like I feel like I can, can communicate, but in a way that's like a speaker communicates, I I was terrified. Like that's my nightmare. Mm. Um, and I almost felt, not that anyone had told me I was bad at it, but it was like one of the one things that it wasn't like, oh, I'm, I'm medium at it. Like I'm, I felt like I was bad at it. Mm. So um which has been really interesting feeling like all my feelings during the process because I had planned like a year ago I was like I'm gonna do a podcast and I didn't start till this May so there was like almost a year of a lot of just stress and what's everyone 
gonna think, you know, if I don't write a script, people are gonna think I'm rambling, and if I write a script, then I sound too formal and, you know, fake, and, you know, all the things you, I heard all the little voices in my head of every person I know listening, and all the things I've thought of people and their podcasts, and I'm, like, just so critical, and I just had to force myself, like, it was, and my podcast is on creativity. That's Mm. the funniest part to me, is I was, like, writing about what I was also feeling and so and then that made me feel like a fraud because I'm like I haven't even (laughs) figured this out myself um so yeah it was as you can tell a roller coaster of emotions but I feel like I'm finally on the other end where I'm like hey I'm not I'm not the best but I'm getting better and Mm. the only way I can get better is if I just keep doing it Yeah. yeah so totally agree when it comes to my (laughs) podcast it's a it's a podcast about the secrets to success and the mental health journey that comes along with being an entrepreneur. But am I successful? (laughs) I'm like, um, I don't think a lot of people would call where I am successful. So in that sense, I do feel like a fraud a lot of the times. So I'm totally in the same boat as you, Kate. I totally understand. Yes. Yeah. It's it's a, it is a roller coaster. Mm -hmm, For sure. I mean, I would have like these out of body experiences where I would I would be just have all of these little voice. I think with my personality, I'm very like I I I hear everyone else's perspectives all the time. Like I immediately can be like, "Oh, they're going to feel this way." And so with this, it was like one little me and like a thousand voices telling me mm-hmm. like I I felt crazy. I was like, "I have a thousand different people in my head." telling me all the ways I can't do this or I shouldn't be doing this. And, you know, how many times have I told someone to not listen to those thoughts? Mm -hmm. And so kind of zooming out of my body and being like, Kate, tell yourself the same. Like, you need to address this the same way you would tell someone else to address this. Mm -hmm. And it was just being like, okay, these thoughts are here. But if I listen to them, I'm that means I'm going to fail and I'm not, I'm just going to give up. And that's literally the opposite of everything I believe in. So Mm -hmm. it was like, okay, these are, these come with doing something you're meant to do. And, Mm -hmm. and I think knowing that is so, it's like the only safety in that process is like, if you are stepping out, if you're following your passions, if you're doing some sort of thing that is going to bring some sort of great, you know, a reward or is, is good for you, there is going to be that backlash of mental battle. Um, so I think that was also really helpful to me is that this is normal. Everyone feels this way when they're doing something that is, you know, stepping out. So what do you do with, do you just repress those voices? Do you sit down and have a conversation with those voices? What do you do with that? I, I, I'm not, I, the best way I can describe it is I would like, I would be having this like, you know, where I'm a very like the world's ending, like what is the meaning of life where, you know, who am I, you know, when I get to that point and, and so all of these voices are going and I think I just, it was like a pause of like, take a deep breath and, and then remembering all those things is every single person feels the same way. And like, as a believer, I do think like, you know, Satan plays a part in wanting and our, and he wants us to fail. And so, or whatever, there is this, there's this 
whatever we want to call it, there's something out there that doesn't want us to succeed and doesn't want us to bring what we can to the world. And I think knowing that was like, it was, it was so weight lifting for me to be like, everyone feels this way when they're supposed to be doing something that they're supposed to do. Even if it's just for the learning experience, you know, even if my podcast is just for me to learn something, um, like I've learned, I feel like I've grown a ton with it. So I think, yeah, I think it's just normalizing that state, even, even like creative block. It's like normalizing that, like not only is that normal, but it's almost required in the creative process. Yeah, I actually interviewed a coach in one of my podcast episodes, and we talked about that inner voice or voices, however many you might have. <laughs> where yeah, how crazy you are! <laughs> I, I have many voices, so don't, you're in good company. I have a choir of them. Um, but basically challenging yourself to not see that voice as your own voice and instead seeing it as um, a separate um, entity. Um, So because when you see it as your own voice, it kind of is harmful to um, your relationship with yourself. You see it as yourself, you putting yourself down um, rather than an external force. Um, And Kate, you kind of touched on something similar to this um it being an external force it being something else um and when you put it that way you're able to have that conversation with this external force instead of um talking to yourself like oh talking yourself down or like being like why am i treating myself this way instead look at this um this external force and be like why are you saying these things to me why am I, why are you saying like, oh, I'm not good enough? And I think at the root of it, it's a defense mechanism. It's our way of protecting ourselves and preparing ourselves for the worst. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of psychology behind this and I'm by no means a psychology professional. I haven't really studied it very much either, but I do think that um, that voice telling us like, oh, you're not good enough is just to protect ourselves from and prepare ourselves for the case that someone does say that to us, you know, and we'll be prepared and it won't hurt us bad. <laughs> um, but again, making sure that we don't see that as um, us talking to ourselves, I think is very, very helpful um, because you can have that conversation um, with that thing. And um, the interview that I had with this person or this coach, she said, talk to this this thing for her she calls it um a troll it's an ugly troll like the one that lives under the bridge in billy ghost gruff um (laughs) and um she talks to him and she's like hey what can i do to change your mind about this what can i do to make you feel like um we can go down this path or be confident um and she has a conversation they come to a solution and they compromise and she has like a next step from from there so it's it's a lot of self work. (laughs) Um, But it's an interesting way to look at it. I think for the longest time, I was like, oh, just putting myself down. But it gives a different perspective. Well, and I, I mean, I agree, because I think we live in this world where it's like, whatever the spiritual realm or like, whatever is like, like, okay, crazy person, like, what are you talking about? But I'm like, Okay, so then if you don't if you don't think there's something else that's wanting you to fail, then why does everyone have such a hard time with 
failure and failing, Mm -hmm. you know, like, it it doesn't make sense to me, like, like you were saying, like, if I'm just, like, Mm self-sabotaging, um, like, there has to be some sort of force thing that is setting us up and wants us to fail, because why else does, I mean, this isn't, like, an abnormal thing, everyone, Mm -hmm. every creative I've ever talked to has felt some sort of this, feeling and so I I do think like yeah addressing it like it is something out there is wanting you to fail and so seeing that it it just gives you it gives the power back to you and you're able to like push through that in a way and and yeah so I I definitely I definitely I think it's the it makes the most sense to me even though it sounds crazy Mm -hmm. it, it makes that's the most logical way I think you can analyze it and I think it is a part of the system. Like, it's a part of the creative mm-hmm. cycle. You have to have that backlash. Yeah. Because, because um, well, I think I, I mean, my, my thought is, like, if you don't, like, what you were saying, like, we have that, so that way we can kind of prep ourselves if it actually happens. Mm-hmm. Because if we didn't have that, we would just be radically impulsive in doing all of these things with no mental, like, blockers saying like hey maybe you should think about that it's meant for us to self-assess like those thoughts are meant for us to like check and and be like hey am I on the right track okay yeah I am okay bye bye voices and the more we do that the quieter those voices get I used to be in full-time church ministry, working for a church planting organization. And leaving that was really difficult for me for a number of reasons. Um, And so I went through a lot of counseling and my counselor is this amazing man. um, And he taught me how to have conversations with those negative voices and all the other many voices that I have in my head. But, and, and Michelle, I love the way you described it as like, it's a way to protect ourselves because he named it. He's like, that's your little protector or that's your little manager. And they like get their hands on the steering wheel of the bus and they drive that bus of your emotions right into some place that they think is going to be safer for you. Mm-hmm. And when, when I was a child, it was really useful because I didn't have other skills by which to manage the complexity frustration and hurt of the world. And so those managers and those protectors were so useful. And, but now as I'm an adult, I can step into my own self. I can step into who it is that I want to be and bring into the world. And when those managers and protectors take the wheel, I can say, Hey, thanks so much for everything you've done for me in my life. Like you, like your ability to protect and manage my life is what has let me live this long. So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that you driving the bus is useful anymore. Is it okay if I drive now? And like just learning that skill of how to have that mental calm. And for me, it was literally picturing it of like, mm-hmm. you know, Keanu Reeves and speed or whatever it is, like picturing <laughs> myself on a bus, right? <laughs> Having this conversation with this really frantic, like scared child. Who's just saying, no, you can't let people see that part of you. You can't be exposed in that way. Like it's gonna destroy you. It's gonna hurt you. And then 
my counselor also taught me just to say, to ask the question to those voices, like, what are you afraid would happen if you didn't control the situation? If you didn't try to yank the bus off the road, like, what are you afraid would happen if I showed up in the world in this other way? And that was incredibly illuminating. And there's a poet philosopher named Robert Bly, who is phenomenal. 10 of 10 would recommend um, listening to him and reading him. A lot of his worldview, he builds it out of um, Greek mythology and out of um, European fairy tales. So he'll talk a lot about like giants and trolls and witches and things like that as, as this way of through all of humanity, we've created these personified shortcuts in which we can describe and illuminate that other world that we're so deeply connected to in our souls. And so the Greeks did it by creating, you know, the gods of Athena and Aphrodite and other things that were these personifications of that internal sense of saying we are connected to something more than just ourselves. And how do we name it? How do we describe it? And and they would do it in that way. And then you know, Europeans would describe like that childlike fear of when, when you see your parents yell at you or yell at someone else. Of course, children believe that giants exist in the world because they've seen their parents act like giants. You know, I, I remember that sense of looking at an adult when I was young and being like, I will never be that big. They're huge. And, and there is this childlike sense of like, we know that fairies and dwarves and elves and, and giants exist in the world because we see it when we're a kid and, and, and we experience the world in this kind of wonderful imaginative way. And then through all of history, we've developed these stories that name these things. And, and so I love that on your podcast, Michelle, that coach actually said, okay, these little managers and protectors, like they, they, you know, they're that witch that's trying to eat you in the forest Mm -hmm. or they're that troll that's trying to keep you from getting across the bridge to go where you need to go. Or they're that giant that's trying to come and stomp through the land and destroy all the crops. And like, so what does it look like then to become people who are aware of the landscape of our own interior world and actually be able to fill it with all the creative efforts of humanity from thousands of years ago to today, you know, filling it with these personifications of these ancient gods and goddesses and of these trolls and, and, and witches and things. And like actually see ourselves as this complex, beautiful humanity that's been culminating through all of history and then actually be able to have conversations and say, well, then what kind of person do I want to be in the world? And, and I'm given this invitation with this emotion and okay, I do recognize I am afraid of getting eaten in the dark of the woods. Okay. That that's, that's a reasonable fear. And at certain times in history, that was a very literal fear, mm-hmm. but now it's just kind of this vestigial emotion carried over from my ancestors. And so like, am, am I really going to be destroyed if I put this in the world and no one likes it? Well, not if I choose not to be. And, but now I can actually begin to have these conversations with myself. So I, I love that. I love that on your podcast, it was named that way. Cause I, I very much identify with that. Yeah. I think, I think it really, again, helps your relationship with yourself. I think a lot of us talk down to ourselves and hear that inner voice as ourselves. So designating that as like that ugly troll, it's just like, 
hey, you are not coming from me. You are just some external force that's trying to break my spirit or trying to protect me or every case is different. But yeah, it's, it was definitely a, a very helpful, helpful perspective to, um, to consider. Kate, have we sufficiently freaked you out? <laughs> um, no, I was just laughing to myself. I'm like, this is such an interesting, because it, like with creativity, it, it gets, it, it's hard to not get weird. You almost have to get, mm -hmm. because there's just such a weird part to it that you can't, I don't know, you can't create, you can't define in a finite, practical, black and white, you know, science way. Mm -hmm. So I think it requires some freak out. Yeah, part of being creative is having an open mind. <laughs> there's a lot of unknown um, exactly. when it comes yeah. to being creative. A lot oh, to be totally. discovered. Yeah, and, and that actually goes back to something, Kate, you said way at the very beginning where you were talking about like, you can't be on autopilot and be creative. And I was actually just on uh, another recording for the episode that's coming out just before you guys. And we were talking about this idea of like, okay, so there, there's a Quaker theologian um, named Parker Palmer. And he maybe has the most beautiful articulation of the soul that I've ever come across. And he says, and I'm going to butcher it because I'm, I'm not going to get it right. But in summary and in my own words, he says, the soul is like a wild animal. It is resilient. It is resourceful. It can thrive in harsh conditions. But it's also shy. And we know that the worst way to go about finding a wild animal is to tromp through the woods calling out its name. Rather, we need to come into the woods in stillness and quiet and sit under the shade of a tree and perhaps the soul will make an appearance and perhaps not. When we come back, we keep returning to that forest of our interior landscape in stillness and waiting for our soul to show up. And to me, that's it's what, what you were saying, th this idea of the soul, like it demands our presence. Like we have to go sit in that forest. We have mm -hmm. to be present there. We have to, we can't let ourselves be distracted by other things if we hope to hear from our soul. Mm -hmm. And it also de demands our attention. We have to look intently for it to show itself through the hedges on the far side of the clearing or something else. Like the soul by its nature demands our presence and our attention, which is, you know, deeply rooted in the Judeo-Christian tradition, right? Um, and it's also found in almost every other world religion, right? It's found in the teachings of the Buddha. It's found in Islam, this idea that like, there's something about us that really demands our full presence and our full attention. And it's typically those moments where we really come into that flow or we come into that Zen moment or we come into whatever it is, that euphoria and we say, oh, that was a beautiful moment, right? Whether it was walking the streets of Kolkata once, you know, sweaty afternoon or whether it was on the beach in Santa Cruz that one day or whatever it is, there's these moments that appear to be arbitrary in our own memory. Cause we say, well, why was that so significant? Um, but I really think it has something to do with this idea of presence and attention and Kate, what you were talking about, like you can't be on autopilot and be creative to me spoke directly into that 
reality of soulfulness and creativity that we actually yeah. have to be present to ourselves and we have to be attentive to the world around us to draw out this creativeness from the well of our own soul. Is yes. that something that oh. you guys, yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, that, yes, I love that with, for so many reasons. One, the fact that you talked about, like, you can kind of, you know, um, to call it out like the wild beast, you can go out and, like, stomp around and gets attention or you can like that place of like stillness and which I just love because it's so full circle with creativity because you have to have rest to be creative but it's so easy to do the hustle with creativity it's so easy to be to do the creative part of creativity which would to me is like that stomping around but what is vital and necessary is that place of rest which actual rest is not checking out and watching Netflix Mm -hmm. it's not sometimes maybe that can be used in it but rest is actually intentional and can honestly honestly be just as hard work as the other part um obviously because none of us do it so it's (laughs) it is it's so difficult and then again I love it because it's also part of that like you know God created rest on that, you know, the seventh day. And it's like part of all of that stuff, which I feel like, I don't know, it all ties together. But I I so, yeah, I love that because I do think it needs, it does beckon that that stillness. Yeah, I definitely agree as well. Um, I find that my best ideas come when I'm resting or when I'm at a state of rest. But that's not saying that I'm not conscious and not um, mindful of what's happening. So um, for me, it's not in a moment of where like I'm like forcing myself to think, 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 but rather being um, aware but rested. I just have like the ideas just start flowing. It's really strange. It's it's hard to describe. You're in a state of not doing anything but also doing something. (laughs) Your mind has to wander mm-hmm. right and I think Kevin did you have an episode that was about like you like boredom yeah and I did I I didn't listen to it but that title caught my eye because I think even that can kind of like overlap a little bit with with rest is like your mind needs to have this um kind of the space to wander and get into weird little places that you don't normally let it go and it needs to find problems and weird solutions that it that aren't just surface you know surface level that are easy to see yeah and i think that's creativity is it's that under layer of the obvious and that's our show well actually that's not just our show that's season one that's it we're done with season one guys Boy, this has been so much fun for me. I have loved this process of learning what it means to make and start a podcast, going through the process of putting myself out there, inviting guests onto the show, having these courageous, beautiful people come onto the show, share their hearts and their lives with me and with you. And then you, the listener, you've given so much of your time to this podcast, and I am so thankful for that. I'm thankful for all the comments I've gotten through DMs on Instagram, 
through the Facebook group, and the wonderful people who have left written reviews on iTunes. Man, you guys are special to me. Truly, truly wonderful. I'm so thankful to all the guests and to you, the listener, who've made this podcast possible. This has just been a ton of fun for me. Thank you so much. And just so you know, there is going to be a season two. I've got some ideas. We're definitely going to change up the format. Why? Well, because I like change. My wife keeps asking me what my favorite food is. I tell her my favorite food is change. Just make it different. What's my favorite color? I don't know. Something different than what it was yesterday. Because I love to mix things up. That's just kind of part of who I am. So there is season two coming. It's probably not going to drop until like March or April of 21. Um, just depending on what the farming season looks like this winter as I get everything prepped. Uh, we're taking bigger steps into regenerative farming this year, and it's going to take a little bit more of my time and energy than otherwise. So to land the plane on season one, I just wanted to share with you some words that have been reverberating through my heart and mind and soul pretty much since I started recording this podcast. And it's not the Marina Rilke that I typically read at the end of every episode because that has been so formational to me, but I wanted to give you a new piece of poetic wisdom that has been with me and you're probably already familiar with. So it's worth listening to again. It's this beautiful poem by Mary Oliver called Wild Geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are headed home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. 